From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. Welcome everybody to uh, the third episode of the Web3 series of Are You Not Entertained with my, my wonderful friend that I like to call my Virgil in this whole area, uh, Johan uh, Juncker. Um, that's not to say that I think Web3 is Dante's Inferno, but you do need a guide. And Johan is my partner in all of this and has helped me so much over these months, both in this series and in what I do with um, my day job. So welcome, Johan. How are you? How are you? I'm good, thanks. Good, 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 good. Well, today, um, thanks to you, we're going to bring in somebody super important for the third series, third part of the series. Uh, today, we've got Charles Reed from Rare Stone. Um, and I think this is somebody that is going to let, once again, people understand a, a completely different level of, of, of vision as to, to what this sector represents. So I'm just going to bring him in straight away and we're going to get, get right into it. Charles? Hello, guys. How are you doing? Hey, Charles. Good to see you. Good to see you, Charles. And thanks for doing this. Good to be here. And, 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 and obviously, people will see, certainly if you're watching um, live, you'll see Charles is a very young man, um, but very experienced. And Charles, I'm going to kick off here uh, because th this is the style a little bit of Are You Not Entertained? You only get to understand the content when you understand the person. So yeah. um, your, your origin story, if I can use that phrase, um, the way the kids say it these days, your origin story is fascinating. It's, it's a pretty humble background, but you know, tell us a little bit about why you've done this where you've got to and uh, what were the steps in between yeah sure um good question i think um you know I, I i never went to university i was never particularly uh very talented at, at school but i always had a very uh playful curiosity for a lot of subjects um you know i studied countless subjects at a levels didn't finish many of them, but, uh, you know, the interest was there. And I was always kind of searching for something that would really seize my attention and, and hold it. Um, so, you know, I never really found that until I came across, uh, you know, blockchain and, and, and Web3. And that was that was in 2017, very early in 2017. Um, and within kind of six months, I'd, you know, I'd quit my job and, and really pursued that that. Um, long term and, and decided that that was what I wanted to do. And it was the first thing in my life that really kind of held my attention, um, you know, past that kind of three or six month period. And, and, and that, that meant a lot to me. Uh, and I think that's because, um, you know, web three really is that it's, it's a new web. We're building a new internet and you know, w what direction that goes is, well, is anyone's guess. So it's very expansive and, and very interesting. Um, so, yeah, that, that's that's it, really. But, Charles, I think that's a little bit humble on your part. You know, how do you go from somebody that you're describing as curious, not into traditional learning and schooling, to going to what you've done, which, aside from Rear Stone, we'll come on to that in detail in a minute, but you've created, you know, the most influential community in Web3, invite only. You know, it's the golden ticket if you get an invite into Charles Reed community. How do you go from a curious, bright lad that is looking for his direction in life to being one of the absolute thought leaders in this area? How does that happen? It's very kind of you to say that. Um, you know, I, I don't really look at myself that way, but I guess, you know, look, before I had any success in this industry, I, um, I made a lot of other people successful. Um, I provided access to opportunities. I was a, a very aggressive networker. I traveled all over the world, uh, typically on a budget. I met 
countless super interesting people, um, absorbed as much as I could from them. And then I decided, hey, I can, you know, put some of these people together. There, there was kind of two sides. You know, I saw a, a, a buy side and a sell side. There were investors who were looking for opportunities and there were people who were looking for investors. Um, and I typically had a pretty good understanding of what was a good deal in the industry because I'd been kind of paying attention early on in my career in, in, in Web3. I was um, doing a lot of research reports, uh, a lot of writing, and also writing uh, you know, analysis for high net worth investors who wanted to get exposure early on, um, particularly during kind of the ICO boom. So yeah. I saw that buy side and sell side and I figured a good way to unite them would be to start this community and kind of curate this group of investors with, you know, who actually became quite influential in the industry. So we, yes. we now have this, uh, you know, this, this kind of, it was, it was operating as a syndicate, you know, we were, we were sourcing deals and we were allowing investment into some of these deals, some deals as big as Solana at the time, um, at very early stage, you know, this is when Solana was being sold at a few pennies and when no one wanted to invest, it, you know, the Solana team was struggling to raise investment, um, back in 2018. So, you know, the people who kind of had that, you know, that, that risk taking acumen and who were willing to kind of trust some judgment of the other people in the group, they made a lot of money. Um, I was frustrated for, for years. <laughs> I kept seeing people get super wealthy around me and uh and i was like what am i doing wrong here but you know eventually that came back around and now i have this community of people who global network of you know experts who they look after me you know they uh they, they invite me to to these places but also you know they have a lot of respect for me and Ultimately, I think, you know, people say network is your net worth, but that really speaks volumes in, in my case. And, and that really led me to 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 where I am, um, particularly, you know, at the start of my journey when I realized I couldn't necessarily, uh, you know, take part in a lot of these opportunities, but I could bring people to them. And, you know, I, I kind of benefited from that in a long roundabout way. Johan, um, I, I'm going to ask you now because that's that's a fascinating background from from Charles. How did you two get together? You know, um, before you answer, just to let people know, uh, Johan and myself, we we hooked up about two years ago, and he's been telling me about his vision for Entourage in in this whole area, and um, then you know, Charles Reed comes into the conversation for, with from my point of view, Entourage. How do you two hook up? You know, what was the attraction you found in each other and why are you, uh, you know, hanging out together now to use that phrase? What's the, what's the story, Johan? <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> I don't have the same history, uh, long history in blockchain as you have, Charles. Uh, I did look very, very closely at the 2017 uh, ICO boom and had a lot of discussions with our current C CFO at the time about our own token and that sort of thing. But we were not at a stage in the company, very early stage, like a few lines of code kind of stage, right? With Entourage. So it wasn't the right time for us. And I wouldn't say that I regret, I regret it because there was a, it, was a, it was a very bumpy ride. But ever since then, I've, I've kind of kept an eye on, you know, stuff like virtual goods and, and the blockchain itself. And over time, uh, my thoughts kind of matured into a place where, you know, I've, I've seen my kids buying, you know, skins in Fortnite mm. and a lot of them. And I've seen my kids buying a lot of stuff in, in, in all kinds of mobile games and that sort of thing and asking me, hey, dad, can I get, you know, seven bucks to buy this and this and that? And also developing really great skills within these games. And I've been starting to think as kind of the payer of these debts or sort of these costs. Yeah. That wouldn't it make more sense if these virtual items, it's these digital goods were something that my kids actually owned. And yeah. as they sort of developed as, um, you know, gamers and developed their skills, they could sort of flex with them and actually trade them. They would increase in value and that sort of thing. That would make a lot more sense to me. And 
referring back or associating back to you know entourage in our business same thing there you i've seen observing a trend where i guess global tastemaker creators especially uh being sort of demonetized on youtube for no good reasons and since they don't own their assets they're being thrown off the platform and it's like you know they're being rugged essentially they're being somebody's pulling the rug under their feet and i i i thought that was completely wrong that they didn't own their own you know creations on these platforms um and also you you've seen over the last couple of years there's been more curation on the content side like there've been places like on uh, caffeine tv for example where global tastemaker creators are are now scheduling their high quality content much more carefully and also you know segmenting their audiences carefully you know taking people away from kind of the third party platforms that are advertising models like instagram onto platforms where the creators have more of a say and where the community can have more of, of a skin in the game caffeine kind of being a middle step between the youtubes of the world where you completely not owning anything of your assets to more curated world for creators on caffeine tv and now into the world of entourage which is what we're we're building is where creators actually own everything that they create online and i'm kind of asking myself why wouldn't you because if you know if i if i buy my you know a house like the house i'm in right now and put stuff on the walls those things are mine right or my family's and they should be and i think it would be completely wrong and mind boggling for people to think that that wasn't the case in the physical mm-hmm. world and as we're spending more and more time in sort of shared virtual spaces you know watching things together experiencing things together why would you not you know own the things that you're creating in that world and back to your original question um this is the reason why we met because rarestone is an an investor and a prominent you know company um or firm within this space that is kind of exploring these virtual spaces online in web3 where the premise is that you actually own your stuff you're you are able to build a community and you're able to provide community skin in the game at the same time owning your assets you cannot be demonetized and i think i saw that you know we just need to take that route because it was kind of the perfect answer for 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 all the sort of problems that i've seen in the industry of extracting value from the community instead of providing the community some some say and some skin in the game so uh i guess in i'm going to be honest like late 2020 we were building out our virtual goods but they were not on chain so similar to like twitch and stuff like that where you can donate uh directly to the creator but we were using stripe at the time and it didn't feel right but because it's you know there's a lot of stuff that isn't right I'm not going to go deep into it mm. and then starting you know looking for something else some of the solution knowing that virtual goods and kind of ownership and passion economy is the future of online at least for the next you know 5 to 10 years um i started to see uh, stuff like nfts being you know offered to the market and and a kind of a greater penetration of course i saw the beeply stuff with you know christie's auctions of 65 million which is really crazy stuff but especially for a guy that hadn't sold anything online before at over 200 bucks so 200 to 65 million is a big jump right we can all agree on that so the and the reason for that is the ownership the nft is a represent, representation of or proof of ownership of something that is digital online right so at the same time started to hear uh, about solana because we were looking to build up microtransactions with an entourage the gas fees were just crazy high in ethereum so solana was kind of the perfect choice for us to to go for um and there wasn't like a phone number on solana where you could just call people so Sean and I and the other co-founders we we were starting to research this area trying to get in touch with with folks uh, that were kind of already in the solana ecosystem because it was like the perfect fit for us got in touch with um Alex Golding who was I think the first person at the Solana Foundation I guess and then that led to me hooking up with Derek and some of the guys at Rarestone and eventually meeting with Charles a few months later and from my perspective I mean I don't know if this is mutual but it was a, a love at first sight absolutely 
Well, Charles, um, uh, let's leave the love at first sight uh, for another time and 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 get to get to you know the reality of of what people are trying to work out in this area, which is, you know, how do you assess things? I think that is one of the the the, the biggest questions people have just now. So you're at Rare Stone, which through your community, which you described beautifully before, is very influential. You probably get pitched a million things a day. You run into this strange Swedish guy who is working in the world of sport, working with rights holders um, like the LA Kings and and, and some other ones. Um, in the context of meeting Johan, how did that fit into your criteria of how you, you assess and filter opportunities at your fund? Because it is a fund. Yeah, so just a little bit more context on Rarestone first, because I think I left that out in the beginning. But so this community that I kind of curated, to be honest, is, um, you know, that evolved. Um, that evolved into Rarestone in kind of i'd say late 2019 really and the reason that evolved is because um you know a good friend of mine who i also one of our invest for one of our first investments as redstone he told me hey you need to start a vc fund um you need to kind of you know distill everything back you need to build a thesis or write your thesis down because you clearly have one and you need to pull together some people and you need to get it done. And I was like, oh, maybe, maybe. Uh, after a little bit of time, I said, you know, what, I'll do it. And I actually chose, um, you know, five or six people who really enjoy working with, who have different skills to my own and who have that same kind of curiosity and addiction to the industry over the past, you know, however many years particularly when the market was down and when no one else was paying attention. Yeah. When, when I was screaming about it and everyone thought I was crazy, them same people who were in that same kind of room as me, I, I, I pulled them together and said, hey, guys, I want to start this fund. It was called, you know, it started as a telegram group called Project F because I didn't know what it was, what it was going to be. I pulled together these people who I thought, look guys, here's what I want to do. I wrote some notes on Google doc and they're all like, yeah, let's do it. So, you know, Redstone quickly kind of evolved very drastically from what that community was. That community still exists, but it's not, it doesn't provide access to deals or anything anymore. Um, Redstone then kind of began absorbing much of that deal flow. But um, so, you know, th that's how that's how we got here. Um, yeah. So how, how do we kind of assess? I mean, look, part of our core thesis is around, um, you know, the metaverse, which is a word that you have probably heard more yeah, in yeah. the last six months than ever before. And that's largely because of this movement around people and ferocious and, and also the spatial web. And that's something I talk about quite often and how we're moving from websites to web spaces. And mm -hmm. I think that that is, you know, Johan mentioned earlier uh, about Fortnite and skins. Um, and, and I think that that's an example of a web space, a creative mode in Fortnite. Travis Scott yep. did a concert in Fortnite. Yeah, I was um, there. Yeah. And it, I mean, that I was that, that's <laughs> insane. Um, but, but that really kind of, you know, if I really had to boil it down, that's why that's the direction that Rarestone is kind of looking in. Um, is is that convergence of uh, web spaces, virtual assets that are user-owned, but also that ties in then to open finance or decentralized finance. Um, yep. I prefer open finance um, because, you know, we kind of envision an internet in the future where, you know, if, if the product's free, you're the product, right? In the case of Facebook and Web2, but we envision an internet where you carry your identity around these web spaces, you carry your yep. assets around. So whether I'm in this game or this website or web space, my assets go with me. And so does my identity. So, I mean, this was, this is a clear fit for us. And to, you know, to be completely honest, we typically would invest in tokens. Um, and that's for a number of reasons. I mean, you know, to be completely transparent, because, I'm a candid person when we started it's because tokens were more liquid and we 
you know we had access to to take yep. profit much sooner than than an equity investment um but tokens don't always make sense uh it's, it doesn't make sense to rush them uh particularly with ideas like this you know there's there's clearly something there uh the you know the licensing and such and and the relationships are already there so that was really important um but this this fits into our thesis very well and i think you know johan you also you know you talk about the concept of super fans and you know really kind of in in today's world it's very hard for us to connect with um you know people we are fans of and it's hard to prove i'm your biggest fan but with um these virtual assets when you can kind of incorporate metadata into these assets and once they're owned for periods of time or you know let's say a, a, a ticket let's say you're a season ticket holder right for for you know your favorite football team um or soccer team for any of our us listeners yeah. um but uh it's, let's say you're a season ticket holder you know that is proof that you're kind of a super fan but that's as close as you get but if i buy let's say my favorite band is you know I was going to say One Direction there, but that will just get me in trouble. Uh, but let's say, you know, it is One Direction. Let's say I buy a ticket to every one of their shows around the world. How do I prove that unless I keep the physical ticket every time? Exactly. Now, you know, I do kind of envision, you know, in the very near future that all of these tickets will be digital and they will kind of, you know, compound um, and they'll, also have rich metadata they'll have rich media attached to them mm. whether that's videos whether that's images and that will prove how much of a fan you are and that will unlock opportunity as well so i think that is really the direction we're going and mm. you know entourage is is a fantastic example of looking in that direction charles um you know you 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 say that's the direction you're going um in a way that uh, here's what I'd like to say here, and I'd like people to understand this that's listen, that are listening. What you're doing, and you've been doing it for, what, three years now? Um, the, the the world that I come from, the VC world, um, they're, they're following you now, and they're not following you small. They're following you all in. I'm talking about Andreessen. I'm talking about Sequoia. You know, so um, that's why I wanted you on today, because... The structure of your fund isn't like that. It doesn't have LPs and everything like that. But mm -hmm. in many ways, I see you as the kind of like, uh, you used the word open finance before, DeFi open. I see you a little bit like Starling Bank compared to Bar Barclays Bank. You know, like you're, you've got a, a fresher uh, tech stack. You're nimbler. Uh, you've got the community that backs it up. Uh, you know, so um, I want people to understand this you in many ways have led the trend that is now happening in mainstream VC world. Is that how you see it as well? Absolutely. Yes. Um, right. We don't have LPs. We are nimble. We invest our own capital. We made that own capital by making the right decisions. Um, we very rarely made a bad investment in the last 18 months. The market was good. I won't deny that, but pretty much everything was successful but we also made good bets before the market was good you know i made a very calculated bet on solana back yep. in 2018 and i you know still hold much of that position so it's you know i i do think that traditional investment vehicles um you know that they, they are moving over now but um what we've also noticed is let's say probably nine or nine or 10 months ago when the market was very, very hot, uh, probably a little bit longer than that now, but we, we noticed that the traditional VC funds were actually too late because the investment process for them was quite slow. They had, yeah. you know, three or four calls to make a decision. We were able to invest within, you know, eight hours. We were able to write a ticket for 200K within eight hours if we needed to. Um, and a lot of the time, you know, that might be seen as kind of gambling, but, uh, and honestly, in some cases, maybe, maybe, you know, that would be a fair word for it. But a lot of the time that was about having the structure to be nimble, but also, um, you know, having that intuition and trusting that, that instinct. Well, that, well that, that's the word, that's the word intuition. You know, you won't remember probably you and neither Johan, cause you're young. Um, 
in, in the world of finance that I grew up with, there was something called a merchant bank where um, just like your model, Charles, the partners put their own balance sheet. It was their own capital that they put in. Then those morphed into the, the mega investment banks we have these days, which are, you know, levered up with debt and everything like that. So, so your model is a throwback to the old way that it used to be done at merchant banks, which, which I love. Um, one of the things you mentioned, Charles, then I'm going to come back to you, Johan, for a minute. One of the things you mentioned, um, interoperability. Now, um, you know, taking these goods that you have bought in one um, one metaverse, if you want to call it, and taking them into another one, um, walled gardens versus open. Uh, I was at a conference last week uh, in New York, and Peter Hutton of Meta, ex-Facebook, was talking mm. about their plans for this. And he said that they are going to be accepting interoperability. He did say that, even though I guess most of the audience didn't pick up what he was saying. Hmm. How, how do you how do you see that happening? As you know from the previous episodes, this has been a big thing. You know, how, how is the walled garden going to survive in a world of of totally open interoperability? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I think um, you know, Facebook's move to Meta was pretty historical really by any means yep. uh by any stretch it was very historical but that's something that i kind of foresaw for for quite some time um and it's kind of like you know there's this expression roll with us or get rolled over and i feel like you know a lot of these web 2 giants they will they will they will die in the new in the new kind of age the new technology age um meta have an opportunity here to be a pioneer or to be, uh, you know, kind of the um, the Goliath versus David. They have to really innovate here. Um, they can start to, you know, introduce connective tissue for Web3 and, and have, you know, users able to connect their wallets and play with their NFTs and bring their NFTs into this game world, or they cannot. And if they don't, then the company will continue to die. Because make no mistake, Facebook is already dying. If you look at the user numbers, they're just mm. falling off a cliff. Um, so, yeah, I think it's good that they're talking about that, but they don't really have much of a choice if they want to yeah. continue to you know, be market leaders. And I think a lot of these Web2 giants, they will have to make that decision. Mm. Or they can lobby and regulate and, and try to fight it that way. Um, so it's really one or the other, you know. Yeah. But if, if they do, Charles, if they allow that to begin with, and I want to stress that, they've done that before with creators. Mm. They allow creators to, to do more than then later, not so much. Yeah. And then if you go back all the way to, you know, post sort of growing on campus, you know, U.S. campuses in, in you know, early days of Facebook, and then adding the game developer community, yeah. allowing them to, you know, launch their games within Facebook, being the launch pad for those games, growing like a beast for years until they were not needed anymore, kind of thrown You're out. You're talking about Zynga. With the bathwater. Exactly. So that, that's happened all, yeah. over and over again with 100%. Facebook. 100%. Yeah. And that is something I would be cautious about when I and do you think the young kids, um, uh, Gen Z, are aware that that's happened before and they're not going yeah, to be caught this time? Yeah, I guess the point here is like, for how long will I be able to be interoperable within the infrastructure of, of Meta? Hmm. And you don't, when are they going to say, hey, now it's Libra time? Yeah, okay, well, let's, over let's... and over again, that's kind of the pattern. So you, hmm. you got to look at the historic pattern of, of a company and kind of becomes a, a tradition more or less now with Facebook. Absolutely. Where you've seen that happening over and over again, which I would be very cautious of. And the other thing with Facebook, which is a real beast, we're talking about, they are a large part of the, of the infrastructure online, yeah. period. How are they going to manage regulation? Hmm. You know okay, I mean? listen, let's not make this a Facebook chat because, you know, we... we, we well, this this story will go on and on and on. It is and it is a, a, a moving a moving target. What I want to ask you at this point, Charles, is this because many people like me, even with the curiosity you've got, you know, a lot of my generation still have got young eyes. Uh, 
um, we we with all the will in the world we struggle a little bit with this. Um, you know, NFTs and non fungible tokens compared to tokens themselves that um, are used. Um, and for example, in, in the, to- the tokenomic strategy of Entourage, what is the difference between an NFT and a token that is then used in a community as some kind of quasi-currency? Yeah, good question. I think the, the most simple way to look at it is, for me, an NFT is like a ticket. Um, it's like yeah. a, a ticket or proof of purchase. Uh, and you can write into the data of that ticket whatever you want. You can attach a picture or a video or even you know a whole film utility. if you want it's yeah. you can attach utility you can build it on but also every time it gets transferred there's a record so it has mm. provenance so when i sell a piece of artwork at auction um there's provenance you know it's a certificate of owner of ownership who owned it previously etc cetera, etc cetera. and the utility of that non-fungible token has that but inherently you don't have to trust that it was signed correctly or that it's authentic you know it is because how it was issued so um you know really an nft can be whatever you want it to um it doesn't even have to have a picture attached and you know there's the the famous right click save meme oh i can just save it or you can but you couldn't sell that picture of you know let's say you right click save a a board ape well no one's going to buy it from you um because because it People don't buy the picture of the board ape, they buy the token. That's an access card to a community. Um, and that community is where the value is. You know, you're in a community then with Snoop Dogg and with Migos. Like, um, so that's what people really, you know, need to understand. And, uh, and and the opportunities, to be quite frank, with NFTs are considerably larger than they are with normal tokens, crypto tokens, mm-hmm. utility tokens. And the reason is because you can do whatever you want with them. As I said earlier, they can be tickets for concerts. So you can have a physical ticket and a digital one. Uh, maybe it's a QR code on your phone that's attached to your Ethereum wallet. Um, or, you know, maybe that is a, maybe it's a photograph. But you can do so much more with them. And I really like to look at them as, as access tickets or codes for certain mm-hmm. communities or opportunities uh, rather than, right. you know, currency. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's, it's simple explanations like I have my wallet, right? I carry this around in an interoperable fashion around the world, whether I'm in Japan, the US, South America, Brazil, whatever. I have some dollar bills here. That's the fungible token. I can trade a $1 bill to another and get another dollar bill back, right? Currency. But also have my tickets to, correct, yeah, to, um, you know, football game in Brazil. That'd be great, right? That's a unique thing, a unique item. The difference so being- So one's currency and one's an asset. Yeah, that's correct. And But the difference being, like, again, and I want to ask um, Charles about wallets and the importance of wallets, especially in the light of, of Meta, uh, MetaMask raising 300 something million dollars recently and uh, what are they going to do with that and why, why is that important and also phantom racing 110 million just a few weeks ago i guess and why are wallets important i mean wallets are important in the real world right it's something you bring up every time you're going to buy grocery or you you know you show your tickets to get into the football game but it's very different when that thing the nft being the ticket or the metaphorical sort of ticket mm-hmm. you can do so much more with it so much more than with a paper ticket. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be interesting to see. And I think this one for you, Charles, like once you have a community that is holding NFTs tickets or access tickets, what else can we see in the future? Like, because you will have, they will be representing an identity of like a super fan, for example, for, mm-hmm. for a sports yeah. club or, or, or a sports creator. What can you do? What do you think will happen in the future? And what can you do with, the, with this community? Just because you have these identities of your, your super fans are being are verified on the blockchain. How do you see that play out? And kind of in, in terms of utility? And that that is a great question. That's a great also, question, but I'd like to yeah. yeah, your answer. I don't I don't want to lose this. It's a great question for this audience. Mm-hmm. But I want to add a little parenthesis around it. Two things have happened this week, um, exactly linked to your question. One is the sponsorship of um, Spotify in Barcelona. And and mm-hmm. today we see Spotify making a major announcement around uh, NFTs. So, Charles, bring uh, Johan's question 
together with these major new moments of news and tell us what what this all means for sport and clubs like Barcelona and, and everybody mm. that works in the sports industry. It seems to be all moving in this direction. Yeah, for sure. And another thing is HSBC just built a stadium in Sandbox. Yeah, saw that. Saw yeah, that. <laughs> which is massive. I mean, HSBC are a massive traditional bank. Um, but but yeah, so look, how I think about this is, you know, I, I mentioned this earlier with music concerts, but it makes just as much sense for, you know, season ticket holders. If you, let's say you go to 10 games, now you've unlocked a special ticket. Now you go to 10 in a row, you've unlocked another one. Now they know exactly who you are and how many right. games you've been and they can exactly. reward you directly. They can airdrop things to you. They can say, they can invite you places. Let's say you go to 100 games in a row. You are now absolutely, provably, without a shadow of a doubt, yeah. a super fan because your identity is attached to that ticket and you've bought 100 tickets in a row. So you you now, I mean, who knows? Eventually, this will happen. You'll be able to use that proof of um, commitment to yeah. unlock experiences with athletes directly, with yeah. um, with clubs. That is coming. And I know how many people would love to see that in today's world, especially people who've been fans of you know, these massive, uh, look, you know, in the UK, some of these, I, I know some, you know, much older sports fans who've been going to these games for decades and no, you know, the team wouldn't know, the team wouldn't yes, know that, right. but it's they, true. you know, they will be able to eventually. And and that is just absolutely, it's massive and it will really uh -huh. unlock that, that super fan, yeah. um, can, you know, that it will build a connection between, um, you know, people who are influential in, in the world of sport, in the world of music or art or culture, and it will connect them directly to their biggest fans and it will be provable. Uh, and that is, you know, what I find most exciting about all of yeah. this. It's almost like a composable thread of events where, you know, you start somewhere by holding this, you know, digital ticket, right? Yeah. That gives you some access. But later on, on that. that could be, it's a chain of events that because you have that, identity yeah. uh, that is composable. And I think mm -hmm. the interaction Chaps. between, you know, smart contracts is going to be kind of the thing here. Maybe that's too technical for this pod, but, but yeah. I think yeah. that's going to be let's, super, let's, super exciting. Let's help the audience. Let's help the audience a little bit because this is so, uh, this is why I wanted to start this little uh, section here. Um, great explanation, Charles. I agree with that. And, 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 you know, and, uh, and these days in the sports sponsorship community, and, there, and for maybe the last two years, there's been a big debate about, you know, do you do sponsorship for exposure and branding mm. or is it the access to the fan and deep data so that you can uh, uh, have a, mm. a conversation with them that is meaningful because the person that's done 100 games in a row is, a, um, is different from the fan that goes every, uh, you know, every month because they're traveling the world and they've got a family and everything like that. And uh, so, so it, what you said, Charles, fits exactly into that narrative. But I want to ask both of you, you first, Charles. My industry looks at what it can see in front of its eyes and it sees Sochios, you know? Um, now, in, in what uh, we've tried to explain in the last five minutes, that is a token, that is not an NFT. Can, can you, Charles, let me understand a little bit if it's something you're familiar with, what Sochios is trying to do with that token and how it fits into your vision? Sorry, so is that... Um... Tell us, I'm, I'm, this is a token that allows you as a fan of a club to vote on certain things such as the color of the armband of the captain and that's okay it's yeah, kind of a, uh, a twitter poll utility level okay got it yeah, yeah sure sure sorry i was not not familiar so look that's cool that's governance token uh that gives you voting rights just yeah. as cool um you know no problem with that it has slightly different utility right um but realistically, there is a world where you can do that with NFT, with your NFTs anyway, because they're better. still tokens and it's actually more efficient because what you end up having is the former is, um, you know, there'll probably be a market for it because it's fungible. So now there's a value to the, to the voting right. And now you introduce bribe economics because you can start to hoard tokens or bribe them out or loan them out. If it's NFTs, it's, you know, a little bit more simple because they're non-fungible. They're not traded for, um, you know, there's not a market for them. 
there is there is a market but it's not like a it's not like a traded market like a forex or you know yeah. constant price fluctuations um it's it's you know sold as a single standalone asset so look governance is cool being able to vote on uh kit colors and changes and and things like that i well, think well, there's absolutely actually, a market for that the, actually the interesting thing is well first of all it's very interesting that you aren't that familiar with it which i understand you know it's, it's our vertical mm. sport but interestingly it's been received incredibly badly by the fans you oh, know what really? uh, what socios have done is they have made major sponsorship deals with major clubs mm. for a lot of money um and that has you know suited sport because they like you know secure money up front the the utility of this token which is not an nft it's a it's fungible has gone down like a lead balloon because they see it as a a way to in some ways get the fans to invest in this token without really giving them much in return and it's been seen very much as a money-making exercise um yeah Yeah, and uh, and to be honest uh, you can kind of see you can kind of see why right um because they're selling it they're selling it. It, it like with the nft you're buying a ticket to a game but it's also an nft so it's a little different um but i can see the risk there because also you know this is still a new market segment um yeah and th- there is risk there for for the fans they do feel like they're potentially being exploited being scammed you know they already pay a lot of money for these experiences so i definitely see the risk there from from the fans perspective i just think that the kind of you're not segmenting your fan base when you with a fan token in the same way that you can do with an NFT, because obviously if you're a fan of Manchester United or whatever club, they're not all the same. There's one person working in a exactly. in a garage and somebody in the mm. advertising agency. Somebody has cancer and probably have maybe have six months to live. Like do you know what I mean? Like they have different needs in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if these are perfect for segmenting your offering to your fan base because of the granularity of what they are, like just, you know, the nature of NFTs. So, I mean, I see incredible, like I'm not gonna go into depth with all the things that you can do with them because I don't even know, like no one knows. But I think that's a really important point with the different use cases. I'm not saying that fungible tokens are not for sports. I do think that in a perfect world, I would recommend to have both. Yeah, there's there's a future for both. Right. There's a, there's a loop between the NFTs and the, and the fungible tokens. That's the way it should be, in my view. Yeah, there's a way to introduce them as well. There's a time, there's a method. You have to be careful. Anyone does. It's the same way as a traditional company launching a token. Um, hmm. You know, what the hell? What, why are you doing that? There's, there's a method to doing these things. It's really about education um, and, you know, teaching people the benefits um, rather than, you know, just kind of throwing it on them. And particularly for for sports fans i think it's really important to you know to have that education process as part of the issuance you can't just go out and launch a token and sell it to the fans because it's not fair it's the same way that you know people who have more money will just buy more they'll just go out and buy more tokens and now you can say that the same for nfts yeah but i can also say that if i just go to a lot of games I'm building up that value earlier that you said, Johan, that's composable. Mm-hmm. Now I have proof I went to 10 games, whereas before I have to keep all 10 tickets. So, right. you know, it's a little bit more straightforward. Um, but yeah, there's there's a good way to do both. Um, but it's, uh, look, it's a minefield doing this stuff right now. You have to, you have to listen to the fans. Um, I think that's number one thing, right? Giving the fans more influence, more control is is ultimately the end game. It's just, it make, you know, helping them understand how to get there is just as important. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, th- th- this is our problem a little bit just now, Charles. And if anybody's listening to this, um, they should get in touch with Charles because you can see that he's got laser focus on on, on this whole area and, and to, how to navigate it. But what, what I would say is this, look at it from my point of view. My, I represent the sports industry. You know, we have basically seen Web3, whether you call it crypto, whether you call it tokens, as a new source of sponsors. 
pretty much no more, no less. It's wrapped up in utility, but it's really mm-hmm. sponsorship dollars. And it comes from, you know, from one end, from Binance, you know, uh, through uh, crypto.com, yeah. um, th- you know, and, 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 and honestly, my industry is really struggling to work out what is real and what is uh, kind of like, you know, not pump and dump, but, you know, uh, easy money mm. of the moment that will come and go. And, and you know, all of us on this call and, 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 and the previous calls believe that Web3 is actually a completely different paradigm that um, in many ways is a new ecosystem for a certain generation. You used the word fair there, representation, uh, openness, uh, no walled gardens. I believe in all of that. But mm. the challenge that we're in just now, Charles, is that we are overwhelmed with what looks like just sponsored dollars from people that it we is. don't even know what they do. Honestly, in a, in a lot of cases, it is. It's exactly that. Um, Binance, Crypto.com, these are, let's look at these as, they're Web2 businesses that enable the trade of Web3 assets. So that's how I'd explain them. Wow. Crypto.com, <laughs> is, crypto.com is a centralized exchange. Um, Binance is a centralized exchange. They enable the the you know the fluid trade of these assets, but make no mistake, they're Web two. They're traditional companies, you know, in nearly every way. Um, that is that sponsorship money is from that's that's all it is. It's sponsorship money. They're trying to buy influence, and trust me, they have a lot of money, a lot of it. You know, Crypto.com sponsor Formula One. They sponsor the UFC. You know, they sponsor football teams, basketball teams. Um, FTX just bought 10-year rights to the stadium in Miami. Mm. I mean, that's insane. These guys have so much money, but they're centralized businesses. Now, it's a little bit different when we talk about, um, you know, like NFTs or, or a club having a token, because this can be done in a correct way, because that's, you know, the fundamentals of the technology. And... You know these the the you know example I'll keep using is the ticket because it makes sense. It's really quite simple. It's just proof of attendance over and over again, and then it is automatically issued rewards. It's really that simple, and it's super easy for teams to do that. But I I would as a fan of many sports, yeah, you do want to be a little bit cautious of all this sponsorship money because ultimately them companies want you to go and buy crypto on their websites. They want you to go and buy their crypto. And it's not always, you know, your best interest. The same way as HSBC, you know, sponsoring Sandbox or a football uh, stadium, they're a bank. You know what they want. They want your money. And really, Binance <laughs> is no different. Yeah. Uh, Johan, listen, I'm going to um, ask you, link to that, this question here. We've talked about NFTs has been an asset, has been a ticket, has been a kind of like... Um, badge of honor a proof of badge of honor of your super fandom i myself my vision i'd love your view johan and then we'll ask charles the same question i see nfts as a kind of like funding mechanism for content you know if i look at um how the old days an independent music label or independent film studio had to you know trawl around the city of london try get financing um, and it was never a great a great process. Am I right in thinking that NFTs are a tool that will allow fans and communities to create content with the people that they really love? Am I off beam on that? Yes. No, I mean, you're right, but you're also, in some cases, of course not, because it depends on the product you're buying into. So there are some... Let's let's take sports rights or or even personal brands on, on on social media as an example here. There are global tastemakers. That's what I call them. Creators that are top tier, and they've proven themselves that they they're you know they're they've been around for a while. They could actually create a a program. Let's call it a business plan for their future content, and allow people to buy into that future through nfts for example i think that's a, a really that's, great that's what i mean i mean i'm, I'm However, a content guy that's yeah but there, are, there will be some people and i see tons of them on youtube and twitter spaces and i see it through it straight away but you know some people won't there are just 
pretending that they're interesting and sharing value to the community. Mm. They're pretending that they're going to do it. So you got to be able to distinguish the difference. However, a club that's been around for 100 years or 50 years even, there's continue, like they've been around for such a long time, you know they're not going to screw you over. If they, they can do they can get this right for sure. And so can the global tastemakers. And I think that's a really interesting development that we'll see. We've seen it already to some extent. I think one of the better examples is probably, you know, V Friends uh, that was issued by or launched Gary by Vee. Gary V. Mm-hmm. It was a three, I think, or four year kind of business plan for his entire company that people could buy into in 13 different ways. That's a really awesome way. Like that, that was kind of a perfected way of, of doing uh, something in the NFT space, which is why it's, it's going so well. Mm. While there be other products uh, that are not, that don't have market fit. And it's, it's always, it, Web3 doesn't change the fact that you need to have a great product. And which is why I That's a great point. Really wanted That's to talk great about point. the wallets and, and the role of the wallets, because in my view, you know, we have our Instagram accounts. And the other day, a friend of mine is an artist, pretty big artist. His account was hacked and he got in touch with, uh, you know, the, the people at Instagram that took a long time because again, you can't just call people there and he had to do all sorts of things. It took about three, four days and three four days of reputational harm you know before he got his account back that's another reason to not sort of i mean you should be owning those assets and you should be controlling those assets right and the point kind of the segue from that would be his instagram account has been building that for 10 years it's kind of the things that he's the thing that he's flexing with to his audience he's communicating through that platform in my view i th- i believe that the wallets would kind of overtake that role somehow, which is why I think MetaMask being pretty clunky to Replace be frank that. with you, uh, is raising yeah. $330 million. And I believe that they're going to try to fix that. So yeah. I think people don't even see that, you know, everyone has a wallet in the real world. And it's an important thing. I may have my player cards here that I'm going to trade on the schoolyard. I may have my ticket here that I'm going to show when I go into the, the arena or the concert. And I have my MasterCard, which is interoperable across the world. Well, besides from Russia, I guess. And then I have dollar bills mm. that I can pay for stuff with. It's an important and central piece. And I believe digital wallets such as Phantom and MetaMask will have that role in the future. Mm-hmm. What is your view on that, Charles? Yeah, look, I think um, to go back to, I think, 2018, Samsung, um, you know, huge Korean company, said, we're going to build a Web3 wallet into our phone natively. I think that's going to become a bigger trend eventually. Or if it's not, then them, uh, you know, them hardware devices will probably be disrupted. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think rather than yeah. log in with username and password, we're moving towards the time where you connect with wallet. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, wallets are clunky. You're absolutely right. It's also a little bit scary to use them because you lose access, you lose everything. But over time, that will get better. There'll be social recovery tools. You know, you, you let's say you have a list of five people in your phone book. And if you lose your seed phrase, you can ping all these five people. And if they confirm it's you, then you get access. That's one of the things that Argent did. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, uh, and just to go back to, to, to an earlier question about, um, you know, NFTs as a fundraising tool, I think that that, yeah, absolutely. Johan, you mentioned that you, it doesn't change the need no. for a good product, but, that's but actually, change. sadly change. over the last year, it's already you didn't need a good product to sell NFTs and to raise money. It will change. It will change. But ultimately, yeah, the people who, the people who, uh, you know, fund them ideas, They'll they'll learn the hard way that it's not always easy, but yeah, there's there's risk involved. Um, but I do think that that's that's you know we're moving towards mm-hmm. a future where them wallets have them assets in, but also potentially you can buy them from the wallet, whether that's a web wallet or mobile wallet. You'll be able to browse. Mm. You also, I think, we're moving towards kind of Pinterest cur- curation systems. What's hot in the NFT market? What utility they have? Uh, and this also comes with yep. the, you know, deployment of new NFT issuance 
tools and systems um, where it's easier because at the moment it's very code code heavy and you know artists need to pair up with smart contract developers and obviously there's not very many of them and they're expensive so you know we're moving towards more kind of uh, boilerplate systems where you know you you can issue yep. an NFT without actually needing to you know have the code because because everything's kind of um, you know, boxed up and it's NFT in a box kind of thing. So we definitely move towards that. And that creates more, I guess, um, you know, there's when there's so many NFTs that, okay, they're part of life now, they're not a speculative instrument anymore, or much less so, then we start to realize the the value and the utility that we can build. But that requires better infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And that starts with wallets for sure. Yeah. Charles, I'm, I'm going to uh, wrap up with this last question. Uh, you know, w one of the reasons I wanted you on is, you know, when I was doing my research about you, um, it, it's clear that you are a visionary and you believe completely in what you've talked about the last hour. But it's equally clear that you um, see, you know, what is a hot market, what is um, uh, a market that you just said there that some people are going to get burnt in. Uh, there is going to be a, a separation of the wheat from the chaff. Um, you know, we've seen, you know, articles in the FT recently about, you know, graphs of how NFT prices are coming down, how the the, 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 the volumes on the exchanges is coming down. I'd like you to leave us with a, a vision of something to take away. Yes, we're probably going to see a shakeout, but where do we come out the other end of this? And what, what does it look like, Charles? Yeah, good question. I mean, where did we come out the dot-com bubble? With Amazon, AWS. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, we've got an incredible, I mean, in the, the internet in general, um, that whole kind of, that curve of pets.com right. to where we are now. Look, people do get completely wrecked. Um, that happens in any bubble. And there's bubbles kind of forming everywhere. But we end up with something really special, which enriches the lives of many people. And we need a better internet. At the moment, most products are free. That's because we are the product. We don't own our data. Um, you know, it, it's not secure. We're constantly being um, targeted with, you know, information, disinformation. We deserve to kind of have a little bit more control over our digital lives especially as we move toward these web spaces and and the internet becomes more robust and technology advances. Um, you know, we're starting now to see the internet's being built by game creators, game designers, um, a lot of people hanging out. And, and that kind of looks back at chat rooms in the 90s, 2000s, Habbo Hotel and, um, you know, these, these early web spaces. So, you know, look... FT have never really written anything positive about crypto or NFTs, I think, <laughs> you know, and that's something I've followed very closely for a number of years. To be frank, I don't pay any attention to FT anymore as a result of that. But, you know, people are getting burned on the price of gas and electric in the UK and oh, yeah. all over the world. <laughs> and, and of course, you yeah. know, but, uh, you know, and, and to be completely honest, that is worse than you know oh, i bought an nft and the price has gone down um but yeah look i think we're, we're moving towards um a, a more open internet and i think you know there will be bubbles along the way i think there was a metaverse bubble there was an nft bubble there was a DeFi bubble we're going to see more um but you know i i just urge anyone listening to be very cautious look at this on a long vision um don't rush in to buy something because you know someone made a an nft collection of a kangaroo with sunglasses or and someone told you on instagram it's going to be hot because it probably isn't you're probably going to lose all your money um well said learn about the technology learn about the the curve um you know and learn about what what we can you know achieve in the next five to ten years be patient and uh, and don't rush and and i think everyone will will benefit from this you know in the long time frame Fantastic, Charles. As, was, as I said, it absolutely balanced view. So, listen, I'm going to wrap it up there. Um, a, a fascinating hours conversation. I think many people will take a lot out of this. Johan, my Virgil, thank you for introducing me to Mr. Reed here. 
It's, my pleasure, um, Roger. And going right back to the very start, it's a, a real addition to my own network, for sure. Great stuff. And, and, and listen, um, thank you. Thank you for your time, both of you. And I think you've done my community, the sports industry, a huge favor in the last hour. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks. Thanks so much for having us. Just getting started.